Welcome to another episode of In Conversation with Dan Bro Business. Uh, today we're joined by Paul Vian. Thanks very much for joining us today, Paul. Paul is the former co-owner of Carlton Fuels and now the Senior Vice President of World Connect Energy Services Limited, who are a Fortune 100 company based out of Miami. Um, Paul, I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, by all means. So I guess I, my journey first started back in 1990. I was 19 years old. Um, and I went to work for a company called Carlton Fuels, a newly formed business that had been established for about six months. So my job at the time was effectively selling a, a, a product called heavy fuel oil, which is a, a thick tar, which is used in industry for steam raising, for manufacturing. So in essence, my job was to go out on the roads looking for chimneys for industrial uh, consumers. And um, I guess one of the things I learned very early on in my career was there was two things that my, my boss had taught me. One was you had to have a very strong work ethic. And number two, in the sales environment in particular, that you had to be able to adapt to different people's personalities. And one day I'd be dealing with a, a boilerman or an engineer. The following day it would maybe a procurement manager. The following day it could be the managing director of a, a large uh, organization. So I had to adapt to those different people's personalities. And I think from a work ethic, because we had drivers who were out all day delivering fuel, you know, I wanted to make sure that when I'm asking them to do extra deliveries and pushing them very hard for, for, for the hours that they were doing, I had to make sure I was you know, one of the first in and one of the last to go home as well. So there were probably two things I learned very early on in my career. Uh, as the company developed and grew, um, my position grew as well. I was very fortunate that I, I moved from sales manager, uh, sales director. Um, and I guess during this sort of the nine, ten years that I was working in, in Carlton at the time, I was putting my, my boss under a lot of pressure because I could see opportunities for growth. Um, my boss was pretty happy with a little bit of stagnation um, and, and I could see bigger opportunities within the oil industry to, to further enhance and grow our, our business. At the same time, from a work ethic perspective, I always like to earn money. So during the weekends, I'd also wash the wagons as well. So the more sales I could make, the more trucks that we needed, the more wag wagons I could wash every weekend to earn a few more pounds. But uh, by 2000, we got to a stage where we, I felt there was a need to develop and grow the business even further. So when I first started, there was seven or eight of us. And by 2000, we had just over 100 people. Um, but there was still massive opportunities. So I, I'd had a bit of a fallout with my boss at the time. And he said, look, if you want to take it to the next stage, then put your money where your mouth is, which is a, you know, a bit of a challenge for myself. So I had to invest heavily into Carlton myself. I, um, I borrowed money from family, from friends, um, remortgaged my, my property that we lived in uh, and, and, and borrowed the rest from the bank. So at 29 years old, nine, uh, 2000, I uh, had acquired the business and, and became managing director. I guess one of my strengths is knowing that I do have weaknesses and I build a team around those weaknesses. So very quickly I invested in an operations director and a finance director who can help me leverage capital to, to further enhance and grow the business. Uh, and for the following six years, the company probably doubled in size again. So we had just in excess of 200 people. The business was making about £3 million profit. Um, but I could still see massive opportunities to further grow. It, the, the marketplace had about 220 distributors in the UK. And for me, um, you know, I, I just felt there was a consolidation of a, a very fragmented marketplace. The challenge I had was that I just didn't have the capital to really uh, further take the business any, any further. I had lines of credit with the major oil companies, but really I needed bigger lines of credit to grow. So we had a, a PLC, a company called DCC, 
who'd approached me in 2006 to, to acquire my business. Not that I wanted to sell for the financial gains, but more, I just saw a big opportunity. Somebody had the money to develop and grow. So I eventually sold the business in July 2006. Very tough decision to make, but I felt it was the right decision, not just for myself, but the employees that worked alongside me. And I think one of the keys to the success of any business is the people that you employ. And I had a, a very hungry and passionate team that wanted to help and work alongside myself to grow. So I sold in 2006, but I joined the company that I had acquired myself. Um, and then I guess for the next eight years, um, well, for the first 12 months, I was the, the regional director of the business. And then within 12 months, they offered me the, the MD role. So I took the managing director's role. Um, and within those eight years, I'd acquired 39 other oil companies, integrated them into one. Um, and the, the company became the largest independent distributor in the UK, employing 2,700 people in total. So a very significant growth during that period. Um, so 2015, I was then approached by a company called Well Fuel Services. Um, I think they turned my head a little bit because they were offering me the same opportunity to do work done in the UK on a global scale and, and silly as I am I thought that would be a great opportunity so I joined Well Fuel Services in 2015 I ran their land division um, from a liquid fuels perspective doing the same thing um, but Well Fuels had also invested in a, a company called Connect which was an energy management and a sustainability business where they felt there was a big opportunity in the longer term to really see a big uh, development in that marketplace especially around sustainability so they asked me to run that one then in 2017 as well. So for the last probably eight years now, no, sorry, five years, five years, five and a half years, I've been uh, running Connect Global as well. Wow. Okay. So this this podcast tends to focus on on business owners and people who've, who've founded their own businesses and, ma and managed and run their own businesses, as you've done with, with Carlton. Um, but I'm interested, given the, the prestigious position you've got in such a global firm, about what it's like being at the top of a, a global organisation and a big corporation. What, in your experience, characteristic-wise, are the similarities between managing your own business and working for somebody else? And what are the differences, would you say? Oh, I think that, that the challenge you always have when you transition from owning your own business, I mean, anybody that owns their own business, they still have to, you know, they, they still have to, I don't know, they have a boss in terms of banks. I mean, banks, are, I, I was heavily indebted because of the amount of money that I was borrowing on a weekly basis. My working capital was always a little bit challenged. So I always had to justify to the banks to a degree, you know, why I needed more capital to further develop and grow. So I did have a boss in it in a way. Um, but in terms of managing um, my teams, managing um, the employees, and feeling, you know, you're going home of a night time that you know, if you failed, you know, that you're putting a lot of pressure on a lot of other people that are relied upon you as a managing director and as an owner of a business. I think when you transition to a, a PLC environment, uh, you either have to meet the company at least halfway, if not further, and you have to adapt to change. Otherwise, you stick to your principles and, and you tend to struggle within a, a different environment. So the 39 businesses that I had acquired, I think probably three of them, the, the owners stayed on with the organization. 36 just couldn't adapt to, to change. and, and for myself, I think I'm pretty good at adapting to, to those changes and it was a steep learning curve, but actually I also saw it as a challenge to become part of a bigger environment, to learn the things that I never knew. So, you know, when I was had my own company, I didn't know an awful lot about 
working capital, return on invested capital, return on working capital, operating expenses. You know, I had a finance director. When I first moved to DCC within the first week, I had a telephone call off the, uh, the, 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 the MD of the, the PLC. And he said, can you give me this month's forecast? I remember putting the, the, the phone on hold and looked at the operations director. What's how much money we're making this month? I mean, how do you know that? And he had to explain to me, you know, you look at your, your turnover, you look at your operating costs, um, you work it, divide it by the number of working days, multiply them by the, the, the full month, and it'll give you an idea as to what your, your, your estimated profit would be. Um, things like leveraging capital, working capital, things like getting customers to pay earlier than, than you were having to pay your different suppliers, which give you working capital. I didn't think about them things. Mm. So they're the things that I, I probably adapted to. Other things as well, I mean, I, I always did a pretty good job of you know, building a good team around me, but you know, things like succession planning, talent development, communications, they're all things that when you form part of a large organization, these, they bring these thought processes, these uh, mindset that I probably didn't have myself, objectives, key results, some of the key metrics that really drive uh, returns for, for, for you and, and for the business. So you set out your objectives, you're doing three-year planning, looking towards the future, taking a holistic view. They're the things that I would never have done in my own business. I was more just day-to-day -day trying to, uh, to trying to make a profit. So yeah. that's what it brings to As long as you're prepared to adapt, then they bring different thought processes to how you, you can run a business. Yeah. And going back to, to Carlton Fuels, obviously you said you were in your late 20s when you bought into the business. How big a decision was that to make at the time? And you know, how did you manage the risk element of that? Yeah, well, as long as my wife doesn't listen to us, and I, I, I took a. She's still your wife. Okay, I'm not badly wrong. Yeah, but I mean, I, I took it. I was very confident in my own abilities. I was confident in the business. I was confident in the model that we had. I was confident in the sales acumen, uh, the commercial acumen that the team had. But you're still putting a lot of um, pressure on remortgaging a house and getting into you know significant debt, which is what it was at the time. Um, but uh, you know, you've got to have a supportive family behind you. My wife was very supportive. She had trust in my ability to do what I what I was good at. So, um, yeah, no, it was it was it was good, but it was a, it was a challenge because there's a lot of financial pressure. You know, I, I wasn't going into work just to earn a paycheck. I was having to make sure that I had a paycheck for everybody that worked alongside me. Yeah, you're accountable to those people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So fast fast forward a little bit um, to was it around 2015 that, that you left the company? So were you headhunted by World Fuel? Yeah, I was. I had a I had a, a telephone call from a headhunter, and I, I said, "I'm I'm fine. I'm happy where I am at the moment." I just had a, a psychometric test done by um, DCC. They had. Um, they picked out about four people out of the, they had about 10,000 people in the company, but they picked out four people, myself being one of them. And um, they did a psychometric analysis uh, of myself and it, it took a, a couple of days. And one of the things I think they, they picked out, I remember one of the statements said, there's no limits to his ambitions. And I think on listening to that and reflecting on it, I was doing very well for DCC in the UK, but there's a bigger marketplace than just the UK. So when World Fuels came in, and I think they flattered me, they made me feel very good. Um, that it, it was an opportunity to maybe take a step and take a bigger position. But, um, you know, it, it took me probably a month to make that decision because I was leaving a lot of people that had been so loyal to me over yeah. so, so many years. But I felt it was the right thing for myself to do and the family at the time. And it's obviously turned out that way as well. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's always a challenge. You know, every day is a challenge. But, yeah, I think the, the decision was the right decision to make. And it opened my eyes up from working in a UK environment to now being a global enterprise. Yes. Yeah. Different ball game. Yeah, different altogether. So how did you handle the transition? And also, obviously, you're 
answerable and working with people overseas as well? How has that been? Once again, I think it's always about adaptation to, to different people. So, you know, the, 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 the MD or the CEO within uh, DCC PLC, I had a very good relationship with. Um, and I, I got to meet with the CEO on a few occasions before I joined Whale Fuel. So I got to understand the idiosyncrasies and nuances of the, that personality and felt that I could work alongside that. If, if he had the personality that I, I wasn't aligned to or I think I could adapt to, uh, or wasn't sharing the same vision or strategy that I had, then you know I probably wouldn't have taken the decision. So, first off, you've got to get that alignment if you're going to move and, and be comfortable that there's an opportunity. I met with uh, the CFO, I met with uh, one of the executive vice presidents on a few occasions as well. I like the personality, I like what they were trying to do. So, that's the that's always the stepping stone. Okay. And then I brought you know some ideas to the table from from Wellfield's perspective, things that they hadn't thought about. And once again, they gave me some things that probably I hadn't practiced or, or adapted to anywhere else. So. Okay. Because a lot of our, our viewers and listeners um, are entrepreneurs and, and business owners themselves. You've led small teams and now obviously thousands of people as well. It might be a silly question, but what's the biggest difference between managing a small group of people and then being accountable to hundreds or even thousands of people? That's a good question, I think. I think when you, you have a, a, I don't know, a couple of hundred people, it, it's easy to manage yourself um, from, a, from a management and, and a HR perspective. When you have such a, a large team, you have to empower, you have to entrust teams that work alongside you. You know, we, I have a pretty decent HR division. Um, HR division will work with me to build out strategies, but that's cascading and communicated to the management teams. The management teams follow that path. <coughs> Excuse me. So you've, you've got to make sure that as the business grows and, and expands, you have to have a team behind you that you know are aligned to, to your ways of working. One of the things that we always do every year is we set our objectives out, we set our strategy, we put key metrics that we measure on a quarterly basis. So what we don't have is people off on tangents, so, you know, whether it be IT or finance or credit or HR, off on tangents. We're all aligned with the same vision, the same Focus objectives. Goal. So they're always focus goals. So it's just, it's just a larger scale, but you've got to have that team alongside you to yeah. do that. Do you find it easy managing downwards or upwards? Obviously, in your position, you've, you've got to do both. Um, I wouldn't say. I, I mean, pro probably because I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm pretty down to earth and relatively humble uh, over the years. Uh, and I've worked with, with, you know, from the bottom up myself that I, I, do, I do tend to work very well with, you know, with my teams. Um, you know, I would have anybody that, that works for me, in essence, they're, they're my teammates, they're, we stand shoulder to shoulder. So I think managing downwards for me has never really been too much of an issue. And you have to have empathy, you have to listen. It's not just about talking to people, it is about listening and understanding. And the same upwards as well, um, they have their own ideas. Um, you know, you have your ideas and you've got to demonstrate passion, you've got to demonstrate that your, your commitment, but you've also you know, got to be vocal now and then if you fundamentally believe something then and, and don't be afraid to say it whether it's it, it's upwards sideways or downwards yeah in your in your rise to the, to, to the position that you're in now have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome and all that's a buzzword that's going around no, these days. Not at all. really do you, no. do you have you how have you kind of avoided that is just confidence in yourself and confidence in your in your ability and your experience yeah i mean yes absolutely i've got a lot of confidence in, in what i do so it's a bit it's, it's a big plus then um, i think that's a good place to, to take a break paul thank sure. you sure so, Paul, the, the business spans six continents, like a, serves a quarter of a million people in 200-odd countries. Um, 
with such a broad leadership team as well in different time zones and that kind of thing, how do you personally and you as a business handle it when things perhaps don't go to plan? Um, how things don't go to plan? Uh, once again, I think you've always got to, to, to be clear from, from the outset of what the objections are. And, and you heard me talk about people standing shoulder to shoulder. You know, we, we get an alignment at the beginning. We, we, we understand what our objectives are. I think, you know, we, we always have, have challenges, but that's where, you know, we, we, I guess one of the things that I don't do is we, we've never had a, a blame culture in our environment. We always, we always work to, together to solve for, for any issues. Um, so I think if there's ever challenges, I mean, we, we, we have a call, we'll have a meeting, we'll talk about what we need to do to discuss, to remedy the issues, and, and we work together to solve for it. Perfect. So as somebody in, in such a high-pressured role as well, um, I wondered if you had any advice for other business leaders and entrepreneurs about how to handle your own anxieties or, or stresses in such high-pressured and decision-making environment you seem like somebody who's very confident in their own abilities but there must be times when you are a little bit unsure it goes back to always having a strong team around you really team that you can trust um you know i don't i don't have the answers nor solutions for everything never have done never will do um diversity is, is something that i fundamentally believe in but having a, a wider set of team that you can you can work alongside that have the same values the same ways of work and the same goals same objectives you, you you can bounce off each other you know you i i remember when when i first um when i first brought my operations director and i'll give you a little bit of a story where i was looking to buy a business and the managing director of the business that was looking to sell had, had said to me that he's prepared to sell to to me no problem but he wanted a board on the directorship um and i'd say i'd said to my operations director look i think we can buy this business at the right price all he's asking for is to come on the board. And he said, no, I don't believe that should be the case. And I said, but you know, all he's asking for is something on the board. You know, we could buy his business at the right price. He said, no, I don't agree with you. We fell out. We, we both stormed off home that night and came back in the following day and we both apologized. He said, look, you're not paying me to be a yes man. You're paying me to challenge you if I don't believe in something that's right. And I said, you're absolutely right. And that's what I am paying you to do. So it's something I learned. You've got to have a team that you've got to trust and you've all got to have an opinion. But once, one of the things we always say is that we can have differences of opinions in our boardroom, but then when we walk out there, we stand shoulder to shoulder. So I think you know, there's always going to be challenges, but build a good team around you and they'll help you. They'll support you. And in terms of that, that immediate team, obviously mental health's a, a massive thing at the moment, as it should be. Um, how sort of, involved are you in their in their mental how, how 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 do you oversee that how do you look after that um it, it depends on, on what level you're talking about so you know i i know my team very very well i mean i speak to them on a, on a daily basis we have weekly one-to-ones um you know i tend to know a lot about my team they're my direct reports and i have 11 of them in total if you take it to you know the next level and the, the other levels the company that i have you know has things like vitality healthcare we have a communications forum. Things that I will do to try to communicate to a wider audience is that I'll do things like uh, town halls on a monthly basis to keep people informed of the things that are going on, uh, share with them some of the investments we're making into things like healthcare. Um, we, we also have a, an employee focus group that I set up uh, when I first joined. I learned from the previous uh, employees that you know, we have spokespeople for our employees within Connect, and I meet with them on a monthly basis, and we talk about the things that we're doing at the moment and they maybe highlight some of the things that 
um, they have challenges with some of the things employees are not happy with or whatever, even if they just have questions. So that employee focus group is once a month and it gives the, the team an opportunity to have a voice with, with myself on maybe some of the things that they, they may not be comfortable with or some ideas they may have. Um, and that's something that I've always been keen on that, you know, it's not just me talking to the team, it's, it's, it's listening as well. I think listening is as important as, as, as anything else. So yeah, we, it's it's difficult for me to personally know the health of two thousand odd people, but you know I do have that communication form wherever possible, and um, to ensure that people are, you know, are, are listened to at any time. Um, we we have many that work from home. Um, there's some people that couldn't afford to work from home or didn't want to work from home, so we've made sure that we found, you know, MySpace and work office accommodation for them to work uh, outside of uh, the the domestic location. So. Yeah, no, that sounds invaluable. Looking at looking at the business as well, um, obviously, energy consumption, climate change, all that kind of thing is is you know becoming ever more um, important. The business you're in, I know Connect, you know, have got a lot of future forward thinking technologies that, that they invest in. But what's it like working so prominently in a, in, a, in a business that's right at the heart of those those issues at the, at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's good, but it's also a challenge. I mean, you look at affordability at the moment with things like Russia-Ukraine conflicts, you know, that, that created a, a shortfall in, in supply of, of gas and of power. All of a sudden you see domestics, uh, households and, and commercial industrial household, uh, businesses all having the same challenges in affordability. Um, you know, and that's no different than oil. You know, you have the same with shortages of oil. So domestic homes, uh, retail, fuel, Everything's gone up so significantly from a cost perspective, you know. And for us, the the, the few challenges one is, um, you know, our turnovers increasing significantly it doesn't mean the profits make any 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 more money. In fact, you make less money at the moment, and we have to be sensitive that we're working for a PLC environment where you have investors and and shareholders. Um, but you look at the domestic affordability at the moment; it is one hell of a challenge for for everybody at the moment. So, has the PR side of the business been in overdrive in the last sort of few years? Um, yeah, I mean, we're always questioned about. We're not a we're not a major oil company, so we're a little bit different. We we are we're an intermediary. We're the last mile. We we buy from major oil companies and traders, and we supply to the the domestic and commercial industrial base. So when we're, we're not these multi gazillion dollar yeah, businesses, you've seen the shell prices. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're we're nothing like that, but. Um, you know, we, 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 we're consistently sensitive to our customers. We, we always look at what we can do to help them from a financial perspective. So we have um, a few things within our systems that notify us of, of, of whether there's elderly uh, customers who will need the oil because the, especially when you supply oil or gas or electricity um, from, from, a, from a weather perspective, you have very cold weather conditions and they don't have any oil it will put pressure on them. So we, we ensure that we have emergency delivery systems that support the domestic customers. From an affordability perspective, we do phase payments over a longer period of time that allow them to spread the cost of their, their fuel. But um, you know we, we can't control what's happening with prices. So when gas prices go up as, as ex exponentially as they have done, you know, we, we have to pass that increase on to the, to the customers. It's not ourselves, it's not our margin, but it is a challenge for, for many people at the moment. Absolutely, and hopefully we're coming off the, off the sort of back end of that now. 
in terms of moving moving forward with the business, what's your what's your vision for for Connect? Well, Connect is uh, is part of Well Fuel Services. I think Connect will be probably the future of Well Fuel Services. Many and many of the offers that we provide to our customers, we. You look at the, the at the moment the, the the real focus at the moment on an energy transition to a lower carbon footprint. You know whether it be in the, in the commercial, industrial, uh, or even in the domestic space. You're seeing a lot of people who are thinking about, you know, the future of of, of where oil will be. And um, we're looking at a lot of stuff that we do within the sustainability space, where we're providing customers with an ability to offset their carbon emissions. Um, where we can provide them with renewable energy certificates, which is another way of reducing uh, scope one and scope two emissions. But we're also providing HVO, which is an alternative fuel, a renewable fuel. Um, and then we have solar, wind and, and hydropower uh, supplying a lot of the commercial customers as well. Building projects, project developments within the UK, across Europe, into uh, LATAM, across Asia and into US where you know the demand for renewable power is increasing on a daily basis so we're very much in the part of that helping customers transition uh, and move into that renewable source and i think the the other thing that's important as well is it's it's pro it's providing security of supply rather than reliance upon majors and, and and traders for oil the more you can build the solar plants or solar power plants then that becomes more self-sustaining as well and, and, and self-reliant. So okay. that's very much where we're focused at the moment. Great. In all your years then working in, in commercial ent enterprises and organisations, what would you say, it's quite a big question, but what would you say is the biggest thing you've learned about, about people? Oh, God, blimey, that's a good question. Um, I think... I, I, whether it be people in terms of working alongside myself or, or people in terms of customers that we're dealing with, I'd say people who work alongside myself. You know, it's, it is important to get to know the people that you work alongside. Make sure that if, you, you don't, if it's too large an environment, that you do have other people that share your same values, share your same ways of working. Um, people want to be listened to. People want to feel valued more than anything else. People want to be recognized. Um, you know, and that's not, not necessarily just in a pay packet. It's also just getting a pat on the back now and then for the for a job well done. Um, so I think it's very important that you know if you if you're in a leadership position in any environment, make sure you recognise the team that work alongside you. Make sure that you give them you know the support that they need. Make sure that you listen to some of the challenges that they face. One of the things that I always talk about are what are the barriers or impediments to success. So how can we break those? Help break those barriers down. What are those biggest those barriers? Uh, sometimes in a in a, a large environment, decision making processes can be a little bit cumbersome. So um, you try to drive as much empowerment as, as is possible, but you know when, when you've got so many different you know employees that that work alongside you, it, it can be difficult to solve for every single issue. Um, you know you also have processes, and, and that's something that we have to be very clear on. We're looking to expand into Kuala Lumpur at the moment. And we don't just walk in with a sales team and go and sell. We need to understand an end-to-end -end process from how do you get a, a legal entity? How do you ensure that you're billing in the right location? How do you ensure you have a back office to ensure that an order to cash process is, is confirmed at the end of it? How do you ensure that you have the, um, the right terms and conditions in your contracts of employment? So there's a lot of things that you need to do that you can't just do yourself. You have to rely on other parts of the business or the functions within the business to, to help deliver that. And sometimes those functions can be busy doing other things. So yeah. you have to adapt to maybe sometimes a little bit of time rather than just wanting to do things immediately at times. 
And if you had one piece of advice for somebody with aspirations to make it to the top in business, whatever sector that might be, what would that be? Work ethic. 100%. You, you need luck as Not well, but you, you, you've got to put the effort in. and You've got to be passionate about what you do. You've got to be committed. And you've got to make sure that you know, you're, you're, you're the one that's always putting your hand up to, to, to want to do something and support the company. And I think you've got to have the personality as well to adapt to those to, to the different people that you work alongside. But number one, you've got to put the effort in. All comes down to that. And our final question, Paul, is one that we ask we ask everybody, um, and it's about success and how you define success, both in terms of the business and then in terms of you, yourself as well. I think that one of the, the the key things for success is always that you you achieve your targets, whatever targets you set at the beginning of the year. If you can deliver them at the end of the year, then that's a success for me. Um, I think for, one of the things that we always have, we have a net promoter score as well for our employees. So we're always looking to improve our net promoter score. If you have happy employees, that makes a big difference in any environment as well. And for me, I think my, my biggest um, perception of success, I think, is it's probably being happy and doing what I'm doing. And I've, I've always been pretty happy in the job I've had. So I'm, as long as I'm happy, then I feel successful. Excellent. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it. Thanks Lovely. a lot for, for joining us today, Paul. And Very we'll welcome. see you next time.